Dunhuang has experienced many ups and downs through its long history, but the value of Dunhuang remained because it has always had its own guardians. As an important economic and cultural hub on the ancient Silk Road, Dunhuang, the oasis in the desert, has survived both natural disasters and man-made tragedies. Through the ebbs and flows of its long history, who were the guardians of this magic land? Who protected this irreplaceable treasure house of human civilization? Hello and welcome to another episode of Why We Love Dunhuang. If you love this podcast, do remember to give us a five-star rating and leave your comment. In a previous episode, we mentioned that reckless Western explorations in the early stage of the 20th century almost emptied the Magao Caves, especially the Library Cave. This destructive looting didn't cease until the 1940s, when a Chinese scholar named Chang Shuhong came to Dunhuang to protect the site. Before we talk about his story, let's meet another protector of Dunhuang, whose merits and achievements are now remembered through the murals of the Magao Caves. A long time ago, Chinese ambassador Chiang Qian went on a diplomatic mission to Central Asia and opened up the ancient Silk Road. Since then, Dunhuang has played an important role in international trade. Silk, porcelain and tea from China were traded here and then transferred to the outside world. Before traders departed from Dunhuang to face the vast desert ahead, they knew life and death would hang in the balance. So they dug Buddha grottos and prayed for blessing. Generation after generation, the grottos dotted around Dunhuang became splendid. The artistic attainments of the Magao Caves reached its peak in the 7th century, during the Sui and the Tang dynasties, and Dunhuang became a veritable international metropolis. However, all that came to a grinding halt in 755 with the outbreak of the Anxi Rebellion, a revolt marking the beginning of the decline of the Tang dynasty. Shortly after the rebellion, Dunhuang was seized by the Tubo Empire, an ethnic tribe living in the northwest. A change that brought significant damage to the local society in terms of economy, culture and population. The local Tang people were almost treated as slaves. Social chaos went on for nearly a century until one man stood out. Heroes always appear in troubled times. This time it was a local landowner named Chang Yi Chao. He led an uprising and bravely defeated the Tubo army in 848. A wall painting in Cave 156 has recorded this historical victory. In order to send news of the restoration of the homeland to the Tang Emperor and obtain military support from the central government, 
Chang Yichao sent 10 teams of envoys with the same documents to the Tang capital, Chang'an. To reach their destination, the messengers had to cross the deadly desert. It was an arduous and tragic journey as nine of the teams were wiped out along the way. Only one team, led by a monk, went through all the hardships and survived. In 851, two years after embarking from Dunhuang, Chang's only remaining envoy finally arrived in the Tang capital. Both the emperor and the people in the capital were shocked by the news. They couldn't believe local people in Dunhuang could get rid of the Tubo army by themselves. Chiang was officially recognized as the military commander of the Dunhuang area. His army was named by the emperor as the Kuiyi Circuit, which literally means the army for the return to allegiance. Later, Chang and his army conquered the whole Hexi Corridor area and resumed the ancient Silk Road. As a result, commerce and trade were back in Dunhuang, which led to the booming of Buddhism and construction of the Dunhuang Mogao Caves. Regarded as guardians of Dunhuang, General Chang and his family members were depicted on the murals and worshipped by the locals. We will meet him again and examine those murals in our future episodes. The wheels of history have been turning for centuries. The glorious days of Dunhuang as a major trading center on the Silk Road gradually faded after the 14th century. The Mugao Caves then remained deserted for a long time until a Taoist abbot unexpectedly discovered the library cave in the early 20th century. Previously, we've told the stories about how that accidental discovery brought Dunhuang global fame, as well as disasters. The cultural relics that once belonged to Dunhuang were seized by Western explorers and spread to many countries across the world. Reckless explorations of the Magao Caves came to an end in 1943, when a Chinese artist and scholar came to Dunhuang on a mission to protect the site. His name is Chang Shu Hung. Born to a prestigious Manchu family in the late Qing dynasty in 1904, Chang showed his talent in painting when he was a child. In 1927, the young man finally arrived in France, the artistic paradise he had been dreaming of day and night. Later, he began to study at the renowned National School of Fine Arts in Paris. As an award-winning student, Chang had a promising career. One day in 1935, while wandering along the banks of the River Seine, he stopped at a second-hand bookstall and was presented with a copy of the French explorer and sinologist Paul Pelliot's book named Les Grotteaux de Tuan Huang. In that book, he was surprised to see paintings and artworks seized from China's Mogao caves. He was amazed by the quality of the works and by the legends behind them. A thought popped into his mind. I'm a Chinese. But I'm addicted to Western art and know nothing about the beautiful, astonishing art created by my ancestors. 
Chang never knew Chinese art predated Europe by nearly a thousand years, and it was so brilliant. He began to question the point of his art education in France. Amid wars and social chaos, Chang Shuhong, then a promising artist who had won several medals at salons in France, decided to go back. Shuhong, I hot headed. His wife was quite puzzled after hearing his decision to return to China. I have made up my mind. Why go back home? It's because the root of our art is in China, in the remote and desolate desert of Dunhuang. My ideal is to let people all over the world get to know Dunhuang and like the place just as they know and like Paris. It can only be realized by returning to my motherland. Zhang was determined. He left his family and went back to China alone in 1936. The ancient artworks from his motherland attracted this young artist like a magnet. Ever since then, his name has been bound up with the magical place. He served as an art professor in Beijing and held art exhibitions to raise funds for his journey to Dunhuang. In 1943, Chang visited Dunhuang for the first time. It was a hard journey. Chang and his fellows almost froze to death when passing through the Gobi Desert. But when he saw the caves and murals in Dunhuang, he felt that it was all worthwhile. In the letter he wrote to his wife, Chang expressed his excitement. It's worth it, and it's more than worthy. At the first glance of this place, I said in my heart that even if I die here in the future, it's worth it. Under the effort of Chang and a few other Chinese scholars, the National Dunhuang Art Research Institute was established in 1944. Chang served as the first head of the institute, embarking on a lifelong journey dedicated to the conservation and preservation of the Magao Grottoes. The living conditions in Dunhuang were quite tough at the time. The ruined temple was used as an office, the stable was used as the dormitory, and drinking water needed to be filtered to get rid of the mud. Even more terrifying was the loneliness. The unbearable hardships crushed people's minds and will. Chang's followers left the place, one after another. Chang understood their choice and could not help. He once wrote in an article, this is a lonely and uninhabited place. After working here for a while, most of my young colleagues feel a sense of desperate loneliness as they are isolated from urban life. The daily life is already uneasy, and if they get sick, it will feel even more terrifying. Finally, his own wife, after living with him for 20 years, also abandoned him and the two children. Amid all the hardships and challenges, he has not wavered. Over the past five years, I've been in this isolated island. It's a dead corner of the world. The thousand Buddha caves are facing successive dangers of collapsing. 
Seeing all these with my own eyes and being unable to prevent it from happening is the cruelest punishment. We should not underestimate the slightest grain of sand, which all the time is destroying the thousand Buddha caves and the treasures. This is a challenge to whether the Chinese culture can live forever. In order to solve the most serious problem of this quicksand invasion, Chang tried every means possible to remove the sand accumulation from in the caves. He built doors at the entrance of each cave and constructed a sandproof wall with a length of one kilometer in front of the caves. For decades, he and his colleagues copied Dunhuang frescoes, numbered the caves, systematically and meticulously studied and protected all the artworks. Daisaku Akeda, a well-known Japanese writer and Buddhist philosopher, once asked Chang Shuhong the kind of career he would choose if he came back into this world again. I'm not a Buddhist and do not believe in reincarnation. However, if there is an afterlife, I will still be Chang Shuhong. I'm going to finish the work I want to do for Dunhuang that I haven't finished yet. Chang spent 40 years in Dunhuang and unveiled a new era for the place. He passed away in 1994. His dedication has inspired generations of young Chinese scholars to head to Dunhuang and carry on with his legacy. In line with Chang's own wishes, half of his ashes were buried in Dunhuang. To honor him, people placed his grave on a small hill in the eastern section of the Magao Caves. The grave directly faces the highest cave of Dunhuang, the nine-story pagoda. Beside his tomb, there is a black granite tombstone with the Chinese characters, the guardian of Dunhuang. Nowadays, if you visit Chang's tomb in Dunhuang, you will also find dozens of other tombs near his. They all belong to different generations of people who have dedicated their lives to Dunhuang. They are all guardians of Dunhuang. Because of them, the value of Dunhuang is eternal. Special thanks go out to the Dunhuang Academy and Sangliang Chongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, do give us a five-star rating or a review. I'm Graham Stevens. See you on the next episode of Why We Love Dunhuang. Dunhuang.